As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello, listener. I'm Carl Anker and welcome to Talk of the Devils, the Manchester United podcast from The Athletic. Laurie Whitwell is on a well-earned holiday, but as usual, I'm joined by United We Stand editor and contributing writer to The Athletic, Mr. Andy Mitten. Andy, how are you? I'm all good, Carl. I hope you are too. I know it's been a long, long day with you being at Old Trafford, but we've seen a win, haven't we? So maybe there'll be a bit more optimism in tonight's conversation. Yeah, two wins back to back at Old Trafford. Who'd have thunk it? Um, I do this every week now, and I've also had someone comment that I have to do this this week. So, where in the world is Andy Mitten? I'm in Barcelona <laughs> and I'm here for uh, a while because, well, I don't know how long I'm going to be here because of um, various travel restrictions, but hopefully the uh, some will be lifted, but I'm pretty unsure of the situation at the moment. So, I think it's, uh, I'm one of many millions of billions of people who have been restricted by Corona at the moment. I'm, I'm actually just looking at the moment about going to Leipzig in a couple of weeks for the game. <laughs> But I'm in about five different minds about whether I should do it or not. Not least because it's my eldest daughter's birthday and she's, she's, she, I promised her that I, I would be there for a birthday this year. I'll let you know, every single United game is currently covered up until the 15th, or perhaps the 19th, between Laurie and myself, apart from the game against Leipzig. So I guess we'll flip a can of Red Bull to see who's going to do that trip. Let's get into today's podcast business. We reflect on the Manchester United's I'm going to put, if hopefully you can hear the air commas here, impressive win over Istanbul by Shekhi here. Uh, United are now in pole position in the group with nine points. Only one more to qualify from a Champions League group that many thought they wouldn't end up qualifying from. So that's all good. We're going to discuss that. We're also going to discuss the victory over West Bromwich album. That was less impressive. And we're going to look forward to Sunday where Manchester United play Southampton in what has been termed as the Luke Shaw derby by some and by some other people as the, no, I'm not going to say it, that derby. Before we get started, listener, remember, The Athletic has some of the best Manchester United writing you can find in English language and in some other languages as well, because Andy speaks Spanish and knows a bit of Portuguese as well. He's well clever. To celebrate, we're going to give you the chance to subscribe to The Athletic for our best ever price. It's just £1 a month for the next 12 months, and you can cancel at any point in time. That's access to all of The Athletic all year long, including our podcast, Ad Free. We're going to bring you unrivaled coverage of Manchester United for an unbeatable price, and we're not going to be running a better deal at any time soon. The offer runs from Black Friday, so that's 
this Friday for just one week up until the 4th of December. So don't miss out. Remember, this is The Athletic covering Manchester United past, present and future. And it's just written an excellent piece on Manchester United's under-18s. Laurie has, by the time you listen to this, will have a fantastic piece out on Matt Judge. And I'm going to do some tinkering on a question asked about Oli Gunnar Solskjaer about what he intends for Manchester United in the long-term future. So, to take advantage of this deal, go to theathletic.com slash manunitedpod. That's theathletic.com slash manunitedpod and pay just £1 a month for the next 12 months. This offer is for new subscribers only. Now then, Manchester United 4, Istanbul, Basakja here, 1. Seems pretty simple, but it was a little bit tricky. Andy, you watched this game on TV. What did you see? I saw Manchester United start incredibly well. In truth, I didn't know what to expect. I don't think you do with United these days, especially at Old Trafford. But there is some consistency coming in the Champions League games at Old Trafford after that RB uh, win a few weeks ago. And then a 4-1 win in any Champions League game, you've got to be happy with that. And that's something that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer said after the match. For United started really, really well, especially the attackers in a very attack-minded um, team. I thought Cavani did well, I thought Van der Beek did well. Uh, Bruno Fernandes was an absolute star. Rashford and Martial started the game well. And while the attack faded a little bit in the second half, and, and you rightly pointed out, it was a little bit nervy towards the end. Bruno's opening strike was fantastic. And mm. I would have taken nine points after at this stage from this group all day long when that group was announced. Mm -hmm. I know everyone keeps saying... Only one more point needed to go through. I'm not as convinced as some people because PSG at home is a game United could easily lose and the RB game away is a game United could easily lose. So I've been really encouraged by the form in the Champions League, apart from that horror result in Istanbul a few weeks ago. But there's still some serious work needs to be done. And if United can get through this group, then I think you've got to credit the manager because it's been a really tough group. It really was. I did not expect nine points, especially in this manner. I thought perhaps they'd nick a draw against one of RB or against PSG, and I expect them to beat Istanbul both times. Uh, I think I wrote a piece on The Athletic saying United will go to the final day of the Champions League group and it, it wouldn't be in their hands. But it looks like they're in control, and they were really good for 25 minutes against Istanbul. Having Edison Cavani there, I think it was quite funny. I'm not sure if anyone saw it on television, but he basically was holding Martin Skirtle's hand for 25 minutes. He was constantly on it, on him, constantly hounding him. And then when that didn't quite work, he moved on to the other centre-back. And any time Alex Talese got onto the ball in the final third, Cavani would dart towards the near post looking for that sort of cross. So you saw it for that second goal that Bruno got, where the cross came in and it came just a little bit over Cavani's head, but Bruno was behind and just sort of stabbed it in afterwards. I, I believe, if I get the numbers right properly on my special spreadsheet Alex Elise attempted something like 11 crosses in the first 20 minutes so that's something new that is coming to Manchester United I did ask Ida Gunnar Solskjaer what he thought of the team's approach when he had Donny van der Beek in the pivot and he also had Cavani and he did mention Cavani allows them to play in this different style and it allows them to get more crosses in Andy do you think crosses sort of one of the more old school forms of attack is the way for United to start playing better football yeah there shouldn't be an over-reliance on them like David Moyes' side against Fulham when United put in 247 crosses in the first eight <laughs> minutes and it didn't didn't really work out. But you're quite right. Um, Alex Talese in Paris, uh, he took a little bit of time to get into the game, but 
he hit some beautiful crosses and again tonight at Old Trafford as you say um, that corner where set up one of the goals and Cavani's movement you're totally right there because that freed up Bruno for a pretty simple uh, mm-hmm. tap in so I think it's been a good week for Talese and also um, for Cavani I'd like to see both of them feature more I've spoke a lot uh, positively about Cavani and that's because everybody I speak to speaks so well of how good he still is and he didn't score tonight but it's some of his link up play with Bruno was fantastic his mm. movement his composure and I sense with him he's just waiting to explode and start scoring all those goals that he scored wherever he's been throughout his career it's great that Talese is an option because Luke Shaw who was really good until he got injured he does get injured and United were really hampered early on last season by injuries and all Oli Gunnar's been looking to do is build, uh, have competition in every single position, two players in every single competition. If you look at United's great teams, they're actually great squads. Yep. And th- I don't think there's a, full, a truly great squad there at United. We've seen parts of uh, United's uh, positioning now where there's really good competition. Henderson could have easily played tonight. Um, Talese is the example that I just gave the midfield which has been a worry do you not think in recent mm-hmm. weeks uh, I thought Van der Beek had a great night I thought he linked brilliantly with uh, Fernandez playing in that six and he moved further forward and he probably did better out of uh, the game against um, Istanbul than any other player uh, on the pitch so loads more reasons for encouragement uh, and I think the way that United tailed off towards the end is probably shows what where Manchester United are at the moment. That said, I thought Greenwood did well when he came on. Dan James got got a goal, which is important. Uh, Axel got booked, so that means he can't play against PSG, which is unfortunate. Um, but I thought Oli used it used his subs well, and even bringing on Matic the last uh, ten minutes as Istanbul had a couple of decent chances was probably a wise substitution to make. The games are coming thick and fast, they're coming all the time and he's got to make best use of the squad. I really enjoyed the manumatic substitution where sort of the triple substitution didn't quite work for me. You could definitely see United lost some structure when Bruno Fernandes went out. Uh, as I wrote after the game against West Brom, one of the real problems for United is Bruno is the main risk risk taker. So when you take Bruno out with Pogba, especially injured and or in the wind, there's a real problem on players who can make the difficult passes. Fred is getting better and he's trying. There was a particular moment, according to my notes, that he made in the 37th minute. And my notes just read, oh, Fred, where he sort of gets the ball and tries to hook it out to the right-hand side and it gets cut out. And he's getting better and he's going to get there. I think what's really interesting now is he's working in as a sort of like a hovering defensive midfield player. So as long as he's not the fixed point, the fixed deepest midfielder. He can sort of run around the place and sneak up on a lot of players and nick the ball. And he's getting better at making those initial passes to players. And if you give better, smarter players around him, Fred doesn't have to worry about making line-breaking passes because he can. other players will do that for him. So, for example, Donny van der Beek playing next to Fred reduces the need on Fred to make the line-breaking passes. Because Donny, unlike, let's say, Juan Mata, who needs a little bit more time and space, shows great awareness. If you look at that fourth goal, that was a really good example of what Van der Beek and Cavani can add in. So Cavani sort of drops off the halfway line when he sees Matic is on the ball, drops off, takes the ball, 
like one touch gives it to Donny and then Donny immediately sweeps it out to the right hand side so Greenwood's on his bike United are still going to be a counter-attacking team for the most part but there are options or the seeds of options and I think that's quite interesting I'm with you on on almost everything you, you said there um, Donny's one touch and you use the word one touch is link up there with Bruno and Cavani right down the middle I thought that was really effective Fred as soon as you started to make the point I knew what you were going to say <laughs> he, he made two absolute stinkers in the, in the first half and he's still got that in him and one thing I miss is I would have spoke to him after that game tonight in normal circumstances mm-hmm. and got a bit more depth um, and that hopefully would have been quite positive because I think he's had a, a decent game. I think he's been playing pretty well. He was poor against Arsenal, I think. But aside from that, he's, he's not doing um, so badly. And after a really bad first season, I think he is more confident. And confidence was always a big issue for him because he would train well and then he'd go into a game and he'd give the ball away and his head had dropped down a bit. But he's become an established player for Manchester United. And Donny's the one, I think, who can take the most from the game against Istanbul. I think United were vengeful after that uh, against Istanbul mm-hmm. following that pretty horrendous defeat in Turkey. And there's been three wins now, Carl, since that game. Everton, uh, West Brom, which was a struggle, but Everton wasn't a struggle and Istanbul wasn't a struggle either. You know, there's seven goals been scored in those two games. They got the three points against West Brom, which it was ugly. But it was three points and it was much needed. And the league table still doesn't make pretty reading. But the mood has definitely lifted. And like for like, United are actually two points ahead at the same stage compared to to, to last season. Last season was a horrendous start to the season. Mm -hmm. United need to continue the winning run. Um, I've got a little bit of optimism because the next couple of games in the league are away from home. And United do really (laughs) well away from home. But they've got to keep getting it right at Old Trafford. But two wins in four days at Old Trafford, I I would have had that all day long if we would have spoke about that a week ago. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Ollie said something quite interesting to MUTV before the game against West Brom where he doesn't really believe in home games or away games anymore. He said it's something like they're just games because there's no crowd. Uh, he seems like he doesn't quite enjoy the lack of emotional connection that you get from games without the crowds there, something you've touched upon. He's recently. right. He's totally right. Old Trafford would not have accepted those performances against Arsenal and Chelsea in particular. Mm-hmm. Tottenham was a freak one. You're going to get results like that once every five years or whatever but the pedestrian pace in which those games were played the fans would just not have accepted it no Mm -hmm. way I've been going to that stadium for most of my life and they just wouldn't have accepted it and I'm not saying that the fans can impact um, 100% on a game but they can certainly have 10% um, it depends who you talk to I spoke spoke to Paul Scholes a couple of weeks ago and he said uh, at the Salford City level he was talking about doesn't really affect the games but in my opinion it absolutely affects the games and even away matches Southampton away is one of the most boisterous away matches United fans get a really nice chunk of St Mary's three and a half thousand people 
It's located right close to the city centre. There are pubs close to the stadium. Plenty of those away fans take advantage of those public houses in normal circumstances. They get into the away nice and refreshed and they're really boisterous. And th that has obviously all gone. So Oli Oli's totally got a point. There must be a reason why United have been so bad at home when previously United have been so, so good at home. And we're seeing freak results all over. And look at the league tables all over. I've mentioned Barcelona a few times. They're 10th in La Liga. But in the Champions League, they're absolutely fantastic. And look where Manchester City are in the league. Look where Arsenal are in the league. The, the home and away advantage is, is definitely being eroded. Which makes news from the British government that fans might be allowed back into stadiums. Mm. Potentially interesting. So news came out, I want to say, yesterday. So by the time you get this listen, it'll be Wednesday. So on Monday, news came out that f crowds up to 4,000 people will be allowed into outdoor events depending on lockdown. So uh, Manchester was in Tier 3 before na national lockdown was put in place, which would make Old Trafford unlikely to allow up to 4,000. So I, I believe the ruling is 4,000 if you're in Tier 1, up to about 2,000 if you're in Tier 2, uh, and, and, and then if you're in Tier 3, unfortunately, no luck. It will be remains the scene. I think we will find out on Thursday in the afternoon UK time. Boris Johnson is particularly tardy with his announcement, so who knows? Um, but on the Thursday, he will announce what area is in what. And if Manchester manages to be in tier two, COVID rates have been falling, so fingers crossed. There is a slim chance. I'm not going to say a good chance. There is a slim chance that the Manchester derby on December 15th could have crowds in. Andy, I've never been witness to a Manchester derby before in a stadium. What's it like? Hit and miss, if I'm honest. And I've written a book about derby games and compared to some of the best in the world, the Manchester one is hit and miss. So if we're going to talk about the last one, the last game at Old Trafford in front of a crowd, definitely hit. If you're going to talk about the away games recently where United have done particularly well and you're in that away end, it's absolutely brilliant. You've got 3,000 away fans, you've got City fans screaming at you from all sides and it's great. But a lot of them are miss. You're quite right to talk about the falling rates. Old Trafford's inside in Trafford, that's the borough, and the rates in Trafford uh, are among the lowest in Greater Manchester and they've fallen quite significantly. There's so many factors and we've had a few false starts here. Uh, the authorities have got to consider how the fans get to the stadium, thousands of fans on using public transport, using the Metrolink, for example. But I was at that game in Turkey a few weeks ago, and that's been the only game this season where there has been fans. And we're talking 300. And it mm -hmm. made a huge difference. It made a huge difference. There was one away fan, Barmy Kef, and obviously he couldn't <laughs> say anything. <laughs> and he shouldn't have even been in there. But... It does make a difference. And if there, if there are 4,000 in that side Old Trafford, uh, I know that throws up all sorts of complications as to who gets those, those tickets and people are definitely going to be unhappy about that. But it would bring an atmosphere. And at the moment, there isn't an atmosphere. 4,000 people could make a, a real din. I, I was looking forward to fans coming back in October. We even printed copies of United We Stand in anticipation of that. And I wrote the story in The Athletic because I got a little tip off about it. But even as I was writing it, the 
the, the, the chance of that happening was decreasing by the day because the COVID rates were going up so much. So it would be absolutely brilliant if we see fans inside Old Trafford, if it's deemed to be safe um, this calendar year, because it's something I wasn't expecting. And I know that a lot of United fans have just written off this season. They, they miss going to the matches. It's not just the football, it's the... It's the occasion. It's meeting your friends before the game. Mm-hmm. It's going and shouting, and it, that's p- people love going to football matches in their absolute millions. But y- you will get to enjoy it, Carl. Um, I don't know when normality is going to be resumed because nobody does. But go to the, the the derby at home and away. There's been some pretty rough moments in the last decade against City because City have obviously had a very good team and. City's record at Old Trafford has been brilliant up until uh, when Scott McTominay got that second and United won in March. Uh, but yeah, when, when it's when it's bouncing, when Marcus Rashford, a Manchester lad, scores the only goal away in a Manchester derby, and you come out the ground and City fans are absolutely floored, and like <laughs> and like me, like me, you get on a plane the, the next morning to Barcelona and you see two of City's leading executives because. City are full of Catalans and you walk past them and say, Rashford's absolutely brilliant to your imaginary mate who's not even on the plane, <laughs> just so, just so they, they can hear you and look round at you. And I feel like you'd look round all you like. I'm allowed to say that. What are you going to do about it? He is brilliant and he's just scored a great goal. Next question. It's Southampton on Sunday. This is my expertise. This will be quite difficult. Um, Paul Pogba's currently injured with an ankle injury, so I'm not going to talk about him because he hasn't had a great record against Southampton. What I will say is, if everyone is fit, and that's a big if because Victor Lindelof went off at half time. I think he's back twinged. Uh, Aaron Wan-Bissaka went off in around about the 60th minute because he felt something um, and other reasons. But if everyone is fit, I take the same style lineup again. What about you, Andy? Yeah, I would. As you say, um, Aaron went off. I think it was an ankle issue and Victor's had uh, back issues. And I'd like to ask you about Southampton because I know that you covered them professionally last year. That was uh, the first time I met you was at the the game last year. That was a pretty disappointing one-all draw at St Mary's. It seems so, so long ago that. But if United win, they'll only go level with Southampton. Southampton have topped the table recently. What are Southampton doing right or what's the manager doing right? Because I was at the game at Old Trafford during lockdown and they were a cracking side. They are incredibly well coached by Ralph Hasenhall. He very much believes in this high pressing 4-2-2-2 system. And they've got, you know how Manchester United used to constantly have problems with Wolves because Wolves would just set a trap in central midfield. And the moment one of those central midfield players would get there, the Wolves players just shoot up and nick the ball off him. Southampton are a bit good at that. So if you remember the 2-2 draw against Southampton behind closed doors at the end of last season, the first goal Southampton scored, it came the ball, you know, they worked the ball around and Pogba got on it. And the moment that happened, Romeo and Ward-Prowse just sprung up on him and nicked the ball, which is why I'm sort of not too sad if Pogba doesn't start. Um, United will need to be ambitious, especially in the, in that central midfield area because that's where the battle is for Southampton Southampton now are also getting quite good in build up play so they will be quite patient in their attacks and they're getting good at what's I think the term is basically second phases or second waves in the penalty area so when the cross comes in not only do you have your initial striker but you have the person just behind them so they're two places to aim United will need to be wise to that big ask for Harry Maguire but I think the impetus will be on Manchester United to win this one. There should be enough firepower from this United team. Their tails seem a little bit up. 
something I found quite interesting from Solskjaer before this game against Istanbul is he talked about how his plans often change depending on who scores the first goal. It wasn't quite Mike Tyson's quote about everyone has a plan until they get socked in the mouth, but it wasn't far off. Um, how do you think Manchester United are in terms of defending, Andy? It's a good question because I don't think United defended particularly well uh, against Istanbul, uh, who created, I think, 15 chances. Okay, most of them most of them were not on target. Um, but it, it remains uh, an issue. I think Tillis had a decent game. Uh, Maguire and Lindelof have both recovered from poor starts to the season. Uh, you've spoken a lot and very well about Aaron Wambasaka. I think everyone agrees defensively is fantastic. The doubts come in when you talk about his, his attacking play. Um, Luke Shaw has done well. I think De Gea is having a good season. There were major doubts about him at the start of this season. I don't think it's become uh, a major priority area that it might have been if we were speaking after two or three matches. I think Maguire is, is good. Mm-hmm. Not great, and um, maybe you need to be great for Manchester United because Vidic and Ferdinand were great uh, centrally. I think there's a slight issue with the defenders United have got who don't play. Uh, Marcus Rojo, um, Phil Phil Jones. Um, what the f- is the future for Brandon Williams? I said last week that I wasn't as certain of it as I would have been six months ago, and I stand by that. Does that mean that Brandon plays more um, on, on the right-hand side? as cover for Aaron Wambasaka. So the the goals which have given United a pretty horrendous goal uh, difference still, they've stopped being leaked. Mm-hmm. But I'd be interested to see how that defence does against PSG because they battered United last time they came to Old Trafford. And even Southampton last year, it was a really interesting game at St Mary's, it was early on in the season, it was in the August. United were brilliant, and no, not brilliant, very good in the first half. Juan Mata was really good at finding spaces, and I think he set up Dan James for, for a goal. Mm-hmm. But in the second half, United's defence was really under pressure, and Southampton deserved their the equaliser, and it seemed like a fair one-all draw, and it was a really disappointing result for Manchester United. And I think a draw would be disappointing this weekend as well because United should be should be winning and need to be getting uh, back up the table that said uh, uh, when Southampton came to Old Trafford they put a lot of pressure on that defence United's defending was pretty ropey that night you mentioned um, Oriol Romeo the the Catalan I mean he was pretty aggressive that night he was a bit too aggressive I, wouldn't mind the, I think there's a few United fans won't mind catching up with him and having a few words with him about that but Southampton have been a success story for the last decade if you wind back a decade Southampton went into the third tier and then they came through um, Adkins was a good manager Pochettino was a really really good manager for them and I remember a key game at Old Trafford and it doesn't seem key but David Moyes had just taken over. Southampton came. Luke Shaw was very good. Victor Wanyama was very good. Morgan Schneidlin was very good. Look at all those players Southampton have had. Imagine if they if they kept on Sado Mane, uh, <laughs> Virgil Van Dijk, Tadic, the, um, the the captain of Ajax, they'd be a top four side. So Southampton has been a big big success story. 
They move to the ground, it holds 32,000, it's full most weeks. I can remember going to the Dell when it held, it held 15,000. It was nowhere near fit for purpose for for Premier League football. So it's going to be a tough one, it really is. Look at it. Southampton have won five of the eight matches and only lost one, if, if I'm not mistaken. It's going to be fun and it's going to be on a Sunday as well, which will be quite interesting. We will one day eventually get into how do Manchester United deal with sleep patterns because we've just had two nighttime games and now they're going to go into a two o'clock game on the Sunday and Ollie has complained about the 12 o'clock kickoff they had against Everton which was a game that Ollie has brought up two or three times in his press conferences now looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's talk about some of the current articles we have on the website. Uh, on Tuesday, Andy, you had a great little chat with uh, the under-18s coach, Neil Ryan. Neil's an interesting lad. He's the son of Jimmy Ryan, the former assistant manager um, to Sir Alex Ferguson. And Neil played as, as a professional. His career didn't work out as he'd hoped. He was at Luton, then he went to America. Played under legendary United goal scorer Dennis Viola, who's, along with George Best, fifth in the all-time United top scorers chart. And then he came back to Manchester, he played at Altrincham. My brother played at Altrincham. Colin Little, who's Neil's assistant, is a legendary non-league striker. He was also at Altrincham. And Neil started out coaching at United um, for free. Then he got a part-time role. And his first age group was when Jesse Lingard was 11 years old. And he's worked hard, he's got a good reputation. He's seen as being diligent and He's been promoted to being the youth coach and I spoke to him three times and just built up the interview in different layers just to mm-hmm. see how, how his mind was working and including you know straight after the, the youth semi-final uh, defeat to Chelsea, I got a couple of messages from him and then asked him the same questions like 10 days later. And I think we we should be doing that type of journalism, Carl. You know, I've seen pieces that you've done where you wouldn't see them anywhere else. So Neil's never going to be front page news. He doesn't want to be front page news. He says, if you're a coach, you're in the shadows, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't be speaking to these type of people and telling their story. Because this is the man who's coached players like Marcus Rashford when Marcus Rashford decided he wanted to be a midfielder. And Neil said, no, 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 you're a forward. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's fascinating because he... he because of his dad, who played at United as well, he's he's well versed in the history of the club. But he admitted he had massive blanks in his mind, because everyone said, "Oh, your dad was this, your dad was that." But he was growing up in America and in Luton, and there was no internet and there was no games on TV, and he didn't really know what Manchester United meant until 
Dennis Violet picked him up from an airport in Washington and drove him for six hours and said, listen, I was in the Munich air crash. This is what happened. And Neil just said, I didn't speak for six hours. And I found that fascinating. It is a fascinating interview. I would heartily recommend it to everyone. It's one of those great timeless pieces. And you also get a great look at how the Academy is working after, I think it's fair to say, a couple of seasons of drift. Is that right, Andy? The Academy was, yeah, and now it's hello. Yeah, I, th I think that's right. Um, the bottom line is not enough money was put into the academy and Manchester City and Chelsea were investing far more than Manchester United. And by 2015, United had fallen way behind. And I wrote a piece, I remember writing it, because I had concerned people within the club coming to me and telling me. And I thought when I wrote it, I'm going to get a lot of abuse for this when I went on a pre-season tour. And what I actually found was some pretty big, well-known people coming up to me looking left, looking right, making sure no one was looking and saying, thanks for writing that, it was needed. And I'm told that um, investment has in, in, increased fourfold since 2015. Loads of players have been brought in from some of the biggest clubs in the world, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid from South America. So I've got a lot of optimism about the youth system. And I know we were both at the semi-final a few weeks ago. That was a pretty bad night, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, but I think there's a lot of good signs in the, in, in the youth system things are on the up uh, another article you can currently read on The Athletic is uh, from myself on Manchester United's left backs so I've taken a statistical deep dive on Luke Shaw Alex Delise and Brandon Williams looking at what they're good at looking at what they're not so good at trying to apply a little bit of the eye test context as well um, and I basically found Luke Shaw an absolute fascinating player Andy if I told you Luke Shaw was six foot one would you believe me no I wouldn't and I'm looking forward to reading this piece but no I wouldn't and so, if I told you that Marcus Rojo is above six foot I wouldn't I wouldn't have believed that either but I've stood next to him he's massive <laughs> I just don't go. think he is but but Luke Shaw no I, if you told me Luke Shaw was five foot six I'd say that's more probable than Luke Shaw being six foot one but now you've told me, no, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was five foot seven. Looked at it, turned out it was six foot one. Uh, he's also in his, I want to say, his fifth season at Manchester United. And uh, he is good and very important to Manchester United's build up, especially on the left hand side. You can find all of that and some more on the athletic page. We also have a piece from Laurie that not only we have one piece from Laurie that not only looks at the Paul Pogba situation and his contract and sort of his changing influence on the Manchester United team but we have a piece coming up very soon on Matt Judge essentially going who is Matt Judge what is he good at and what does he do at Manchester United that I think you will find fascinating I've caught glimpses on early draft and I'm very intrigued to see it when the full product comes out um, remember listener new subscribers can get a subscription to The Athletic for just £1 a month for the next 12 months by going to theathletic.com slash manunitedpod um, it's the best coverage of Manchester United in English language. Well, that's what we strive to do every single week. But other than that, Andy, it's nearly midnight in the UK, so I think it's closing time. Um, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Carl. It's been nice to talk to you. It'd be nice to get Laurie back as well next week, and it would be nice to be talking after a couple more one or two Manchester United wins. But I was encouraged by the, the four goals against Istanbul. It was much needed. It's looking good. Laurie will be back sometime next week and we will most likely record another episode of Talk of the Devils after the Paris Saint-Germain game. I'm raising my eyebrows, I say that, waiting for producer Eddie to be in my ear. He said, yeah, let's do it. So let's do it. We'll be back sometime after the PSG game on the 5th. 
I want to say the fifth. The fifth, maybe the second. I don't know my dates anymore. Second, this, uh, it's the second. <laughs> and I think, and I think, I think Luke Shaw's in his seventh season at Old Trafford. Bizarrely, seven seasons at Old Trafford, and I'm going to say it now. He was the longest reigning holder of the Sir Matt Busby Player of the Year awards because of COVID. So yeah, Luke Shaw, very, <laughs> very interesting player on paper. Uh, please enjoy that piece and please enjoy Andy's piece and please enjoy more episodes of Talk of the Devils. We'll see you sometime next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.